Welcome to Second City, a Chicago-centric podcast that takes a look at politics, current events, sports, and pop culture through the lens of liberty. I'm Jim Hume. Thanks for tuning in. The 2024 presidential race is in full swing. A multitude of candidates from the major parties, third parties, and independents have announced their intentions for the highest office of the land. Uh, libertarians will also have a choice of seeking the party's nomination. As I've explained before, the LP does not have a state primary process. The presidential and vice presidential candidates will be selected at the party's national convention to be held in Washington, D.C. over Memorial Day weekend in 2024. My guest today is a former NYU professor, author of a dozen books, and one of those candidates looking to represent the Libertarian Party on the ballot next November, uh, Michael Rechtenwald. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe t- tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about your your background, and uh, you know, I, I find your story to how you came into libertarianism to be kind of fascinating. So just a, maybe a quick synopsis of uh, uh, your background and, and how you got here. Sure, yes. As you pointed out, I'm the, I'm the former NYU professor who took on the woke mob for free speech. And I'm the former Marxist turned radical libertarian. And I'm the author of uh, 12 books, as you said, um, most recently, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, but also uh, Springtime for Snowflakes, Google Archipelago, Beyond Woke, and Thought Criminal. All of these written from a libertarian perspective. And I am uh, seeking the nomination as a libertarian. And I've been endorsed by the likes of Dave Smith, uh, Judge Napolitano, Walter Block, Jeff Deist, uh, Keith Knight, and a whole host of other people, and of course the Mises Caucus itself. So yeah, I'm uh, the way I got into libertarianism. I've I've talked about, but I can briefly touch on that here. Uh, yeah, when the left came for me, the woke mob, I should call them. Uh, they kind of opened my eyes to authoritarianism and uh, slash totalitarianism, and and that uh, that I had been affiliated with this. Uh, for far too long, and uh, I I simultaneously uh, rejected all of the left, inclusive of Marxists and uh, the identitarians and all of that, in one fell swoop and became a civil libertarian. And uh, upon investigation and research, reading, uh, exploration, and self-inspection, I came to become... Uh, an economic and political libertarian, and uh, and then I, you know, started to interview with various libertarian podcasts, Tom Woods, etc., many, 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 many others. And uh, I spoke. I've I've been speaking for the Mises Institute at various events, including as the Ludwig, uh, as the Ludwig von Mises uh, Memorial Lecture and many other lectures for them, been writing for them, podcasting for them, and, uh, and also and, speaking for other liberty organizations around the country at numerous events and have been championing uh, libertarianism or, you know, with a lowercase l, libertarian, 
uh, for seven and a half years. And uh, then I was asked by the Mises Caucus uh, to run as president, and I was sort of uh, surprised. Um, but I, um, you know, upon uh, pondering the vision that they had for the campaign and uh, my own personal commitments to liberty, uh, I decided to do it. I decided to do it. So uh, the rest is ongoing history. <laughs> uh would you say that was there a particular uh, uh, book or uh, per, perhaps just piece that you might have read or come across that uh, um, you know that that light bulb went on for the uh, kind of the libertarian movement? I know, you know, I personally, I also, you know, in college, I was I was pretty liberal. Uh, 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 came from a political science background and. Uh, uh, as I was involved in, in, in kind of at that time in the, in the 1990s progressive politics, which was nothing compared to what it is now, um, you know, I, I, I came across folks like, uh, you know, like, uh, F.A. Hayek and, uh, really started to kind of change my view of, of government should be about, I don't know if there's anything in particular that, that kind of gave you that aha moment. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd say Mises was the main gateway for me. Let's call it the gateway drug. Uh, I uh, started reading Mises and particularly his book, Socialism, a, uh, a, an economic and sociological analysis. And then uh, many other books by him, uh, Human Action, uh, of course, and uh, several others. And uh, also... At the same time, I was doing a lot of research into uh, leftist pl political uh, criminality uh, and, uh, and uh, the Black Book of Communism and the Stalinist Digital Archive and, and many other sources uh, reading about the Bolshevik Revolution and the revolution in China. And I started to see very, very sim similar symptoms in our own society uh, to those particular revolutionary movements. And, you know, I've become probably one of the most arch uh, critics, strongest arch critic of uh, socialism. I would say I've written five books that have in one way or another critiqued and denounced socialism. And then I guess I got into uh, Hop. I'm sorry, I got into Rothbard, and uh, by uh, 2018 was uh, already a anarcho-capitalist, and uh, and then Hoppe, and then uh, you know I've read all these other a lot of other libertarian theorists like Block and uh, Walter Block and uh, several others, and of course I kept up reading. Um, everything that comes out of the Mises Institute and lewrockwell.com and many other sources that have been fortifying and uh, educative. Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, that, it's just going to be kind of that progression from like uh, Hayek to Mises to Rothbard to, to Hoppe is just like uh, uh, the pyramid. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Yeah. Um, but um, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, I watched a little bit of the uh, or that that uh, debate uh, over the weekend from uh, South Carolina. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
uh, with a number of other candidates for presidency that uh, that are that the LP or LP candidates have uh, have assembled so far. Um, and you know, I, I thought that there was a lot of, kind of stuck on things like social security was yeah. a whole debate, and uh, I, I didn't really get into a lot of the meat of the matter. And, and you know, I think most of the libertarian candidates that are that choose from, uh, I mean, the difference between them on a lot of these uh, policies are, are are razor thin or paper thin at least. Uh, so, it, uh, my question would be. Uh, you know, speaking only to libertarians now, mm-hmm. what separate what separates you from the other candidates uh, that would make the you the best messenger for the the Green Party come come November? Yeah, there's a couple yeah. things. Uh, first of all, just speaking of my um, personal uh, attainments and uh, access to uh, media. I've had uh, the greatest, uh, greatest reach by far. I have the greatest reach into uh, uh, into milieus outside of the Libertarian Party per se, inclusive of the Liberty Movement, uh, but uh, and, and inclusive of other um, contingents that uh, the other candidates don't have access to. Uh, for example, I'll have a course coming out from Hillsdale College that'll reach six million people. Uh, in the early spring, um, you know, I've been on Tucker Carlson uh, many times. I've been on, uh, I, you know, even though it's a neocon news channel, I've been on every show on Fox News from the early morning through the night, late night. Uh, and uh, so that that's one thing. And the second thing that really distinguishes me is, uh, is that um, I am an educator. And uh, thirdly, I think is that I understand where most of the country is and uh, where people, uh, where their values come from and the premises that they take for granted. And uh, I've demolished those premises in my own work and I'm able to articulate what those premises are and why they're false. And uh, thirdly, I I think that I'm the only candidate representing full-scale, full-throttle, the decentralized revolution campaign, uh, and uh, that is the localization and uh, decentralization nullification. Uh, my campaign is about seizing power from uh, wresting power from the central government and positing it in the uh, people at the local level. And so, uh, I'm not promising like some of the other candidates X percentage of the electoral vote. Uh, spending X amount of dollars, um, getting an electoral college vic- victory here or there, and then getting on TV for that. Uh, I think that these are secondary to the real mission of the Libertarian Party, which is to expand liberty for the people. And uh, so this is, the, I think, the best means for doing so. And uh, that is localization, decentralization. And uh, so... <clears throat> I'm not telling any fibs about what's possible. Uh, I will get, though, the widest reach of any candidate. And so I will reach a wider audience than any of the others. But I'm not going to do it just to usher myself in as the white knight who rides into D.C. and fixes things. Uh, That's not possible either, even if I could win. 
and it's not possible given the stature of the, the party relative to the other major to the major parties, the dominant parties, and the political sphere as it exists right now. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there's you know a lot of things we talk about as libertarians as far as uh, uh, ending the Fed and eliminating the uh, the IRS and income tax. Um, and these are all these are all great things to talk about. The the reality is uh, that even if you have a libertarian was elected president, you would need majority libertarian Congress uh, to even start to get any of these things done. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the important thing, I think, uh, is, like you said, is, is is being able to convey that message to, uh, you know, to, uh, to folks that aren't as familiar with some libertarian policy and um, getting local libertarians elected is 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 super important. Uh, I think when if you know people see libertarians on their, uh, you know, city council and their, uh, you know, their town boards and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, county boards and things like that um that that's going to go go a long way for sure um maybe you know kind of continuing on that that train of thought any any ideas or uh strategy for kind of uh helping down ballot candidates to uh to kind of win some of those elections or or at least prop them up in some of these uh some of these local races yeah well We'll be fighting for ballot access in various uh, regions and localities, and we'll also be fighting for those candidates to promote them and to promote their candidacy to actually help them. Uh, like I, I helped, uh, helped local candidates here in this last election, and I, I will be helping them in the next election and the election after that. Uh, so, you know, getting... Um, Getting material aid and uh, manpower to these people is very essential, and so I plan on leading by example. And uh, the other thing is, I think, is getting this message out more message broadly out more. through the media will help uh, stress the importance of winning these local elections and wresting power from the feds at the local level. And uh, so that's that's another aspect of it. It's kind of an education tour. It's a media tour. And it's a decentralization campaign message tour. Yeah, that's uh, you know that sounds. I think that's uh, that's that's definitely needed right now. I think just uh, um, just the other day uh, we had uh, Nikki Haley uh, uh, right uh, after the that uh, GOP debate and was talking about um, wanting to make sure that every social media profile is like registered and has a name behind it and mm -hmm. walked it back a little bit. But uh, I immediately thought of, uh, of some of the stuff you wrote in uh, Google archipelago and how the uh, kind of the, uh, the, the tech and, and media is, is really being as a, used as a, uh, as a tool of that. Um, and there's been a lot of kind of, Pushback against some of the uh, the things that happened with like uh, the 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 2020 election, mm -hmm. uh, and and of course the 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 COVID uh, actions, uh, disinformation, information uh, being defined and and suppressed by entities um, unnaturally, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. perfectly, and then you know to see the big kind of the pushback from uh, 
normally the right side of the spectrum on all that to hear her say something like this, uh, just to show that neither side is really interested in, in, uh, in, in open communication. Both sides are just there to control the narrative mm-hmm. to their, to their viewpoint. Yeah. They're both authoritarians and, uh, they both want to institute more statism, more centralized control. Nikki Haley's comment really goes to the heart of digital uh, control vis-a-vis digital identity, which I've written about in uh, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. Digital identity is a way of tracking, tracing, and uh, surveilling individuals from cradle to grave. And uh, having a verified digital identity to go online is, is the first step towards digital tyranny that they want to impose. So she's actually, uh, uh, this is kind of like a, a wolf in wolf's clothing in her case. Uh, and everything that she wants to do first, and then also, of course, her policies on war. Um, she's a total war hawk, um, a complete neocon. And um, so this this person, I mean, this is where the, this is where they're pushing too. This is what they're pushing. She's getting all this airtime, I understand. I don't watch these shows, but... I understand she's getting all kind of airtime all over the place, and uh, they're trying to usher this in. So this is a disaster, uh, but the establishment is behind her. Yeah, she seems to be the uh, the candidate uh, du jour um, lately, for whatever reason that might be. You brought up some of the uh, the kind of the neocon um, war hawk. Uh, rhetoric coming out that uh, has been kind of exasperated uh, with the uh, current conflict between mm-hmm. Israel and Hamas. Um, and again, I find it interesting how uh, so many of these uh, former neocons, you know, um, they have one they have one opinion on the 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 Ukraine war. This is a here here's. Here's here's the Democrats' war, and so the the Republicans have to uh, kind of uh, uh, be opposed to it. But as soon as the Republicans are uh, gain power, then they have their own wars. Neither neither party is anti-war; uh, right. Right. they just want to champion their own wars. And you know whether we've seen what happened between the uh, the the two bre- President Bushes, and 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 Clinton had his own his own um, his own wars with the. Um, uh, breakup of the you know former Yugoslavia um and uh, of course the ongoing conflict in the in uh, in in Israel and Palestine um how can we portray this message of anti-war and peace to to the american people that uh neither party is 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 in 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 bringing peace in the world well i think we got to we got to play clear to them that in fact these wars um, are actually enslaving them, that they're actually becoming enslaved by these wars thanks to the kind of money that's being spent and the interest that's being accrued on the money that's being printed to, to fund these wars, and that we are enabling, uh, in the case of the Gaza Strip and even the West Bank, as I understand it somewhat now, we're enabling... Um, atrocities frankly um and and our money is being used now this is very difficult to get across because for some reason the these people even these christians 
and I happen to be a Christian myself, but I cannot believe the extent to which the Christian right has become uh, fanatical in their determination to wipe out a whole people. I find it uh, just utterly disgusting and repulsive and anti-Christian, frankly. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to fight uh, them on those terms and also on the terms of the anti-status position and that, you know, uh, we really, you know, libertarians, as Murray Rothbard put it, should be neutral with reference to war in terms of funding, material aid, and, and, and so forth. But he also said that there is, uh, it's not enough to do that. We have to actually investigate the various uh, incidences of war. And we do need to be able to come down on the side of right, where the most, the most wrong uh, in the cases of war, which state is the most wrong, who's prevent, you know, who is actually doing the greatest uh, destruction, which has the greater war guilt. I think that, that's the fact that he called it war, uh, war guilt in the, in the Middle East. And he said this elsewhere as well. Um, so the point is that uh, uh, we need to appeal to them in uh, any way possible, uh, including, you know, uh, appealing to their so-called values, but also to the principles of, uh, you know, uh, anti-statism and why statism is causing all of these crises and that it's robbing them uh, in order to un- undertake these, uh, these, uh, these uh, escapades, these, uh, these onslaughts, and, and uh, that uh, we're really risking World War III here in this case. And certainly nobody would want that unless they're looking at it as the eschaton that they seek. Um, so it, it is a difficult battle, but it, that's where the cultural battle has to go on. We still need to fight a cultural b- battle for libertarianism. And it isn't enough to win, you know, to, to worry about the political battle. That's one part of it. But in order to win the political battle or start gaining traction in it, we need to win on the cultural level. And that's that's where we ha- we have to take it on on in every facet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, there, I hear a lot from uh, uh, you know libertarians here without, within our own party that uh, you know we, we need to kind of stay out of the the culture wars. Uh, but um, I mean, if you're if you're looking to kind of change the the minds and the hearts and the souls of the American people, then that goes that goes right to changing culture. Yes, I mean, yes. yeah, we, I mean, we, yeah, we. I'm sorry, you were saying more. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about engaging in these ridiculous culture wars that the state is actually propagating itself. Uh, they're actually in- initiating these culture wars, uh, partly as a distraction, uh, partly as a a kind of team gotcha type politics back and forth and uh, constantly looking to turn the attention of the American public against their supposed political enemies rather than them. Right. So we need to fight a culture, cultural battle that's against the state, against statism. That's the cultural wars we need to be in. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That, 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 that's for sure. Um, uh, some other, you know, some other um, 
uh, e- e- uh, events here. Uh, you know, he- I'm here in Chicago, uh, and uh, pretty much the bi- the biggest issue over the past several months has been this large influx of uh, asylum seekers, mm-hmm. uh, immigrants, uh, illegal aliens. I mean, whatever. There's a lot of terms being used. Um, uh, we'll say asylum seekers is is uh, it, it's kind of the 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 politically correct term that's that's bandied about, um, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know here in Chicago, they many uh, years ago the as um, kind of into some of the more strict immigration policies that were being talked about. You know they they declared themselves a sanctuary city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and are, you know, and, and welcomed anyone who wants to come here to come here. Um, and obviously, you know, other governors, governor of Texas in particular, Abbott has, has said, well, if you, you know, if, if, if that's the case, we'll, we'll send them to you. Um, immigration, pretty tough issue that I know there, there, there's lots of open border libertarians. There's, uh, libertarians that see borders as, uh, uh, as property rights, maybe uh, spend a little time here on this uh, on this kind of tricky issue of of immigration. Sure. sure. Well, here's here's another issue uh, about which neither of the major parties has a principled position. Uh, one of them apparently wants to in, you know import as many people into the country as possible to ingratiate them to itself. That's the Democrats. They want to ingratiate this large influx of immigrants to themselves, uh, thereby uh, assuring their political power and also increasing the welfare statism of of the country. Uh, they do the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, welfare with domestic population, and uh, this is a way of ingratiating these people to the state and making them status and welfareists. And uh, so we have the perfect storm right now. And then the other side is just kind of like, uh, the Republican side is kind of like, uh, you can construe some of their hostility towards immigrants in terms of ethnic ethnic uh, uh, chauvinism and uh, sort of uh, uh, protectionism that is not exactly principled. It's just like, keep these people out, this is our country and, and things like that. So what is my position? It's it's a principled one. It's not open borders. I don't believe that's the true proper libera- uh, libertarian position. The proper libertarian position it starts from the premise of property. And so you you put this out there already, but the, the idea is that under an under a total private property society, the only borders that we would have that would exist would be the borders around people's property. And uh, so the thing is then, it's complicated by the question of so-called public property or state property, quote unquote. Now, I argue that the so-called state property is actually the property of taxpayers. And likewise, likewise, just as you would require an invitation onto private property to enter it, uh, you you need an invitation onto, onto so-called state or public property, which let's rename it citizen property. And uh, so my argument is that, you know, uh, we need to have an invitation only immigration process. Now this sounds draconian, but it actually can be quite liberal. 
in the sense that if you have an invitation, say from a corporation or a, a property holder, uh, a spouse, a, a family member, and their citizens, and they will vouch for you and also uh, assume legal liability and financial liability for your for your being here, then then you would be invited and you'd be you'd be admitted, and uh, so that has that has to happen through a vetting process naturally, and through ports of entry. And uh, I think we need more of them and to streamline the ports of entry. So it's it's actually a very liberal position, but it is based on a strict property rights. Uh, perspective, and I think that open borders is actually a violation of the of the NAP of the uh, non-aggression principle. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that, I, you know, definitely. I take that does involve a uh, that does involve some type of system um, of government or some type of uh, state entity to uh, to kind of process these uh, the these immigrants as 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 they arrive. Um, so yeah, there's uh, you know, to to me the I, I see the whole issue as you know a complete a complete failure uh, of government on pretty much every level from mm -hmm. the uh, from the uh, interference. The economies and and governments of yes. these Central American yes. countries to not having a comprehensive uh, immigration plan or policy, to local governments declaring themselves sanctuary cities without any type of plan. Um, so it's a uh, it, obviously having having all these layer these layers of government is not working for for immigration. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna... yeah. I do want to speak to this issue about interference in these other countries and trade embargoes and faux, you know, faux trade agreements, which would, you know, free trade, unfettered free trade would mitigate many of these problems to the, to the point where immigration would be much less of an issue, if at all. So yes. that's, the, that's the problem. And interference in other states, uh, interference in their governments and, uh, Effectively debasing de their economic structures by virtue of uh, embargoing or uh, putting tariffs on their products and all that. This is the problem that uh, that causes all these people to leave. I mean, most people, you know, I'm sort of generalizing, but most people want to want to live where they, you know, in the country of their birth. They're, there's they're not coming here because they hate their localities so much as they have no opportunity there so uh, increasing trade and allowing free trade would give them opportunities where they are yes they would make less money there but they'd also need less money there uh, so cost of living is a very relative thing and uh, you know th this right right now what we're doing is um, uh, the 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 Biden administration in particular and then the 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 Trump administration, I'll, I'll leave that for a second, but the Biden administration seems to be just uh, intent on flooding the country with uh, unvetted uh, immigrants who are also, some of them, drug, drug and, and child traffickers. So this is not what we want, and this isn't uh, an anti-immigrant stance. It's it's a stance that's, that protects the property rights of people and uh, and allows for immigration on a rational property uh, rights uh, premise.
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember the uh, the, the Cuban immigration wave from uh, from the from the 80s, um, where here here we had a, you know a group of uh, of immigrants that were kind of fleeing a despotic government, but at the same time, uh, Castro kind of used that to empty their prisons, send a lot of uh, a lot of uh, their their problem population to the United States. Uh, and, you know, there's, we have very well-documented evidence of the problems that, that caused in places like South Florida with, uh, you know, excessive uh, gang violence and an uh, mm -hmm. uh, uptick in, uh, in, in, in violent crime. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of see a, a little reminiscent from what's going on now with uh, some of the, the, the folks coming in from Venezuela. And again, it's, I'm sure it's not most of them. It's a small percentage. There are a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of families, a lot of children, uh, a lot of women, but at the same time, um, this is a tactic that's been used by these countries before. And I don't think anyone's really paying too much attention to that particular issue. Well, I guess only time will tell and, and, and see what happens in, in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, that's true. That is that has happened, and I think that we're actually creating a, a humanitarian uh, catastrophe here by letting all these people in with nothing to catch them. No, no, no opportunities really. There's people living on the streets in New York City. I mean, laying on the on the ground. Uh, mm -hmm. This is certainly no reception for anybody that no human being deserves. So. I think that we need to be humani the humanitarian thing to do is actually to vet people and to have them come vis-a-vis -vis an invitation. And as I said, this can be very liberal in a, in a, in a real sense, in the real sense of the term liberal, uh, not leftist, but yeah, liberal. Yeah. The, uh, the other, the other irony I find too, uh, they were just talking about this here in Chicago is, um, so all, all these, Immigrants that have that have uh, entered the country, well, they can't legally work. They need permission from the government in order to get a job, to yeah, yeah. cut hair, to do anything that might get them off the streets, off the the sidewalks. They have them uh, housed in police stations here in Chicago. They can't yeah. do anything because yeah. the government is preventing them from actually hey, going out and earning money and making it. Or not, uh, right, so right. It, it just it, again, it's just kind of a, uh, a shows the systematic failure on kind of all levels of of, of the problems caused by uh, uh, having to have government government permission to to travel to work and 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 all these uh, all these other things are just exasperate what's what's going on right now. Yeah, and a government yeah. ID program would only exacerbate that, and. Uh, would would allow uh, them to allow the state to discriminate against anybody, not just immigrants. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we need uh, a, an ID to, perf you know, government ID to be able to work, that's a total, total disaster. Uh, so we don't want that. So we got to watch out for all these backdoor mechanisms by which the state tries to exert its power. Yeah. And then, you know, they're, they're very well known for taking a crisis like this and, uh, uh, using it to their advantage to implement more government, to implement 
larger government, to implement larger, uh, uh, more bureaucracy, uh, to take away uh, or reduce our rights. So that's that's another thing that concerns me about you know when when an, enough people on both sides are 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 clamoring for a solution, you have to be careful what you uh, you know you're really asking for because uh yes. track records show yes. that uh you know things like homeland security and uh uh social security even all of, all of these are, are 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 problems we have now because people demanded demanded action um mm -hmm. and uh, look at ramaswamy he sounds like a renegade in some areas but he wants to have a war literally send yeah. troops to the mexican border uh he wants to have a war with the cartels on the border I mean, that's just an unbelievable proposal uh, and shows you just how crazy these people are. It is. It's uh, I mean, it, it's it's like having uh, declaring war on terror. Uh, you're going to go fight yeah. some terrorists in some country that they're not even a they're not even a government. They're not even an organized. Uh, they're not an organized. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna go to war with them? Then look how the war on terror has worked out. It's yeah. been a, it's been a huge yeah. disaster. And uh, you're you're really talking about the exact same thing, other than it being uh, way closer to home. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh. So you're putting it in our backyard, if not, you know, in our doorstep. Uh, and that's just an outrageous proposal, which doesn't solve the problem, only exacerbates it, and creates you know a really hostile. Uh, I think really a hostile culture because this 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 would spread to the cities. This would spread north. This would this could end. <laughs> well, we can only imagine where it would go, but it's not good. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the United States has certainly been fortunate that for what 150 years or so we've had pretty friendly relations with our uh, with our neighbors. Um, yeah, that 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 would definitely be the, the the worst thing possible for sure. Um, right. kind of going back to, uh, you, you know, uh, talking about the, uh, uh, decentralization, um, and kind of getting control away from Washington DC and, and getting it, uh, a little bit closer to home. What are some things that, uh, you see that could be real, um, real ways that local governments can kind of push back against some of this, uh, um, tyranny or uh, uh, overstepping overstepping authority of the of the federal government what are some things that uh, local go governments could do that uh, could kind of be a response to that well let's look back at covid and what some localities tried to do and some did not that many but what more could have done in the case of the covid mandates uh, is just totally you know refuse them and uh refuse the policies and not institute these recommended CDC, FDA policies that destroyed econ the economies and uh, ruined millions and millions of businesses and ran up the deficit and caused the printing of all this money, which is causing all this interest, you know, which has caused a great deal of interest rate climb. And uh, so, you know, imagine if we just, you know, ignored them. And uh, when there's no when there's no compliance at the local level, the policies become moot. And uh, we have the right through the Tenth Amendment to nullify unconstitutional uh, laws and mandates. 
there's nothing that says you can uh, enforce these mandates and laws if they're nullified by the states and even at the local level. So I think that's all uh, all possible through nullification and just uh, absolute uh, non-compliance and, and, and just, just a, a complete uh, indifference, if not hostility, <laughs> to the federal uh, mandates and the recommendations. Yeah, that's uh, um, and I think you can you can, you can kind of uh, boil that down even further, where you know local uh, local governments can uh, nullify even perhaps you know uh, state state laws. Mm -hmm. uh, here here in Illinois, we just had this assault weapons ban that was uh, uh, put into effect or voted by the legislature back in January. Uh, there were a number of county sheriffs that came out and said, "Look, like, we're." We're not going to. We're not really going to bother with enforcement of this, um, um, and so you know that that's maybe another example of of just you know how the how a local having libertarians in your local government go a long way in in trying to preserve some of those uh, some of those uh, those liberties. Yes, um, it, it doesn't even have to be libertarians with a large L. I, I should state. I, I don't care what. It could be independents. Uh, it could be Democrats, which is doubtful. But in any case, they they just need to be lowercase libertarians, and uh, and then uh, you know we would be able to vote on those people at the local level. People would be able to vote on them, and uh, but to do that, to even win these elections, we must undertake a, a cultural battle, a cultural battle for liberty and, and getting the message out of liberty across to these people. We're going to create more libertarians. What would be the most, uh, like, you know, maybe two or three talking points that you would, that you would most want to get across to, uh, to non-libertarians or people that are, are, are just looking into libertarianism to, uh, to kind of get them to, to see our side a little a little more clearly. Okay, well, like on, on what issue? I would start with issues, right? I would start with issues, and uh, instead of like trying to get into like abstract principles, uh, people like apparently uh, to deal with concrete issues and then infer the principles from there, rather than having the principles kind of like imposed. Uh, so like. Like on any number of issues, uh, uh, like uh, just the idea of free speech, uh, the importance of free speech and the essential character of it, uh, I would start with the idea that, look, you have uh, a right over your body, you own it, and you should be able to use it in ways that, uh, that you want to without, as long as you're not harming somebody, as long as you're not violating their rights, as long as you're not aggressing on them. Uh, on their selves or their property. And uh, so free speech would be one issue that I would approach it at. Bodily autonomy would be another. Uh, you have the right over your body and what you put in it. And uh, there's no right of the state to, to impose any kind of uh, mandates over, over that. So like COVID would be a great example of how uh, the government tried to coerce uh, people into uh, taking a vaccine that they, they, you know, many people didn't want. Now, listen, if you want to take the vaccine, go right ahead. Uh, but if you don't want to, you should have a perfect right not to. Perfect right not to. And you do have a perfect you right. Have a perfect. 
So things like that, I would approach it from an issue-based uh, standpoint. Yeah, for uh, for sure. Just it, it, it's more, it's a little easier for people to kind of grasp things that, that are more concrete, I guess. Than uh, yeah, uh, I know as, as libertarians, we love to uh, we, we love, love to, abstractions. Yeah, we love abstract, but it, that doesn't resonate with uh, with the average person usually. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, anything? Uh, yeah, anything else there? Uh, uh, you want to maybe get out to? Uh, uh, to my listeners, to uh, libertarians that might be tuning in, um, any any, any uh, kind of messages you want to cross and uh, uh, regarding your 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 campaign for the uh, the LP nomination? Sure. I mean, sure. listen, I I want to wreck the regime, but I can't do this alone. This is not a you know a Michael Rechtenwald wrecking the regime. The wrecking of the regime will happen from the ground up by you and not by me. So we need to enlist people into this campaign, which is more than a campaign. It's a movement. It's a movement of decentralization, localization, and uh, personal liberty. So come on to my website, get involved, uh, you know, get involved as a volunteer, a delegate, a um, uh, a donor. Uh, we could certainly use donations. Uh, you can go to Rectonwald 2024, or if it's easier to remember, wrecktheregime.com. It'll take you to the same place. Great. And uh, get get on board the wrecking ball machine. <laughs> yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds great. I uh, uh, you know I, I I'm all in for the uh, uh, decentralized concept um and the, the being able to kind of change direction from the top down is uh impossible and it's impossible it is impossible so uh yeah uh, getting getting involved locally um you know i'm involved here with in the libertarian party of chicago i've uh for cook county board again uh and these are just ways of um Getting that message out to uh, to a small group that hopefully kind of takes it out. That's the side. Yeah, spreads. Yeah. Right, let me add one thing. You mentioned the Fed. Since we can't eradicate the Fed with a false one in one fell swoop, we can we can erode its power over mono, over the monopoly over money by using parallel currencies, by using alternate currencies like Bitcoin, like gold, like silver, like Monero. Like whatever mm -hmm. your network will accept, and I'm not going to adjudicate the various possible currencies. It's really up to you and the people that you exchange goods with. Yeah, uh, kind of ignoring the Fed instead. Yeah, of <laughs> ignore them and erode their power by simply using other currencies. So the fiat currency doesn't have the power over you that it does. And you should get involved in this soon before they implement a, CDD, a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, in which case, if you don't have alternatives set up and a network within, with which to exchange this alternative parallel currency, you're, you're gonna get sucked into the CBDC and everything that involves, which is total surveillance over you. Correct, and yeah, it's like, it, you're, you're not gonna have a choice. So it's, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's, it's best to, to uh, kind of prepare now. <laughs> yes, that is. Great, great. Uh, again, thanks for coming on. I hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Um, 
uh, you know, I, I uh, love to have you kind of uh, ne- next time you're in the area, come to Chicago and uh, awesome. talk to some of the folks here. And uh, we'd love to have you. But uh, again, Michael, thanks a lot. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, let's stay in touch and uh, kind of follow up and see how the campaign's coming along. Thanks so much, Jim. Great to be here. And thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. All right. And thank all of you for joining me. If you're watching on YouTube, click that subscribe button to stay updated on the latest episodes. If you're tuning in through Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app, click follow to stay in the loop. You can also follow me on Twitter at Second City Liberty. That's the number two, ND City Liberty. Check out my website, www.secondcityliberty.com. And if you have an idea for the show or a guest that you would like to see appear on the podcast, shoot me an email, jim at secondcityliberty.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay strapped, and stay based.